Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, before I get into uh, the wrestling news that happened this week, well, the wrestling highlights, if you will, um, two things. One, we lost a wrestling legend this week. We lost uh, Bushwhacker Butch on Monday. He passed away at the age of 79. For the people that don't know who Bushwhacker Butch was, he was one half of the Bushwhackers, um, formerly known as the Sheep Herders over in the Independence or just around before they got to the WWE. They're most known for being the Bushwhackers, two guys from New Zealand that were basically licking people's faces and just being goofballs in the WWF at the time because they couldn't be the sheep herders the way that sheep herders were around everywhere else besides the WWF because when they were not in the WWF, they were actually uh, violent uh, wrestlers. They bled a lot in a lot of their matches if you look it up and actually watch some of them. So those are the main things I do know about the Bushwhackers careers before they went to the WWF but besides that you know them basically for being goofballs and just uh, walking to the ring with them waving their arms up and down so that's the only thing I do know a lot about the Bushwhackers but again uh, my condolences to the family of Bushwhacker uh, Butch here and I just want to get that and say that to start the show off and also a big thing happened in the wrestling world this week with the sale of WWE WWE was sold to the Endeavor Group Holdings. Endeavor is the people that own the UFC and also own the talent agency of WME and IMG. So WWE is now under that umbrella and with all these companies under this one conglomerate, which is again WWE, UFC, um, WME, and IMG, you now have... A $21 billion conglomerate. They said that's the estimate for this new company. That's literally the worth value for this company. So I don't know what's going to happen with WWE into the future. I know they still have a deal with Peacock at the moment. Uh, I believe in 2021 or 2020, they said they signed a contract with Peacock. So I'm not sure what it was, 2020 or 2021. Either way, we still got a good two to three years of WWE uh, programming still going to be on Peacock. I think that they're going to keep their pay-per-view model still on P- Peacock until that contract runs out, but we just have to wait and see. Um, But with that, this transitions over into Monday Night Raw because Raw would open up with Triple H opening the show. He'll be in the ring. Triple H would recap the feeling of being at WrestleMania. He would thank the fans and the wrestlers, the wrestlers who lay their bodies on the line every week, and the production crew and people that make a show like WrestleMania happen from building the stage and building the set and all that type of stuff. He would just thank everyone. And Triple H would reassure the fans that after major news that came out that day of WWE being bought, that WWE aren't going anywhere. They will be here, just like the tagline says, thin, now, forever, together. So WWE is going to be here. And again, it's just going to have to wait and see how Uh, This new conglomerate works with WWE, to be honest with you. Now, after doing this, Triple H would introduce Roman Reigns. Roman would come down to the ring with Paul Heyman and Solo. Roman would allow the fans to get their booze out before he can do his whole acknowledge me shtick. And then as soon as he does this, Cody Rhodes would come out. 
Cody would acknowledge the fact that at WrestleMania, in the main event, Roman was the better competitor, but Cody would take issue to Solo being a thorn in their side. Cody would say that Roman knows that at Mania, Cody had him beat. Cody would say that he wants a rematch, and this will make Paul and Roman just look at each other. Paul would insist that he talks to Cody, and Roman would hand Paul the mic. Paul would ask Cody, when would he like this hypothetical rematch? And Cody would say, tonight. Now, knowing as a fan, you know that match isn't going to happen. So Paul and Roman, they talk to one another. Paul would say, that is not going to happen. That rematch isn't going to happen here at Backlash, at uh, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, Madison Square Garden. He just started listing off saying that Cody is not going to get that rematch. No way, no how. So Cody being tight, he would say that he had to wrestle essentially both Solo and Roman at WrestleMania and that he doesn't want to wait to have a rematch with Roman. So how about they have a tag team match tonight? So Paul would be authorized to tell Cody that Roman and Solo agree to the said match, but on two conditions. The partner must be someone that wrestled at WrestleMania and that whoever teams with Cody will never get a shot at the Undisputed Championship. Now, Cody will look confused as Roman and Paul will laugh at the notion of who's going to team with Cody, but then Brock Lesnar's music would hit, and Brock Lesnar would come down to the ring, he would shake Cody's hands, and it would be made official. Brock and Cody will be facing Roman and Solo Sokoa at the end of Monday Night Raw. Now, Later in the night, we would get a backstage segment where the Usos would knock on Roman Reigns' door. And notice how I said Roman Reigns' door. It said Roman Reigns on the door. It didn't say the bloodline, so this tells you we're already starting to see some friction here. Paul would come out the door and talk to the Usos and say that their contribution was fully appreciated in Roman Reigns' match at WrestleMania. Paul would say that Roman has a private jet fueled up and ready to go, but the private jet is going to be waiting for the Usos there. And once Roman and Solo get done smashing uh, Cody and Brock, they'll meet up with the Usos at the private jet. So they just wanted the Usos to have a good night. Again, you have the Usos looking at Paul some type of way, but then they'll be like, all right. So they dap up Paul and they leave. So once they leave, you see Paul open up the door and tell Roman that he took care of that. So again, we're starting to see distinction between Paul, Roman, and the Usos here. And again, it's still not touched here on Monday Night Raw. That notion wasn't touched by them. Now, after this, we get our first match of the night. Omos with MVP going against Elias. Omos would win the match by pinfall by hitting a double-handed uh, chokeslam on Elias for the win. Squash match. Quick and easy. Now, after this, we have Rey Mysterio coming down to the ring. Rey would thank the fans for being there for him this past weekend. And he would thank Bad Bunny, who's at ringside, for basically interfering and stopping Dominic from doing uh, cheating in their match. Then Austin Theory would come out and interrupt Rey Mysterio. Austin would brag about beating John Cena at Mania. Trash talk the fans for not believing in him when he went against John. And Austin would say that Rey would be added to his list of trophies. Rey would take offense to that and he would take that challenge. So we would get Rey Mysterio going against Austin Theory. Theory would win that match by pinfall thanks to interference from Dominic. Dominic would run down to the ring and get on the ring apron when Rey Mysterio has Theory in place for the 619. Rey would knock Dominic off the apron and go for the 619. Theory would catch the legs of Rey and transition that into the A-Town down for the win. 
Now, after the match, Dom would get in the ring and attack Ray, and then he would look at Bad Bunny, and Dom would walk over to Bad Bunny. You would see Dom and Bad Bunny talk to one another, and it looks like Dom's about to sucker punch Bunny, but Bad Bunny would block the punch and punch Dominic. Now, Damian Priest would be there. He'll pull Bunny over the barricade and just start telling him that he shouldn't have gotten involved. Now, this brings back to the history between Damian Priest and Bad Bunny. Damian Priest helped Bad Bunny at least train a little bit before his match at uh, WrestleMania in 2021. So you have that history between those two. And again, Bunny gets up. He pushes uh, Priest. Dominic would turn Bad Bunny around. Bunny would again punch Dominic in the face. Now, this would have Priest clothesline Bad Bunny. Damian Priest would go over to the commentary table, clear it off, and then chokeslam Bad Bunny right through it. You would get uh, medical personnel coming down to check on Bad Bunny, some backstage officials coming out to check on Bad Bunny. Rey Mysterio would even go over there and check on Bad Bunny. And again, it seems like we're setting up for Bad Bunny to do something at Backlash since they're going to be in Puerto Rico. That's the home of Bad Bunny, but it was not announced on Monday Night Raw. Now, after this, we have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn coming out to the ring. This is their little mini tag team uh, championship celebration here. Kevin Owens and Sammy would thank the fans and say that without them, they wouldn't be here. Now, after all that mushy stuff was over, Sammy would say that now it's time for celebration. Kevin Owens would insist that they fight. So they challenge any team to come out and make a name for themselves. The Street Profits will come out and take that challenge. So we would get Kevin Owens and Sammy going against the Street Profits. Sammy would get the win for his team when Sammy would hit a halluva kick on Montez Ford after Kevin Owens hit him with a stunner. So Kevin Owens and Sammy would win the matchup here. Solid match here. I just know that whenever the Street Profits get the opportunity to actually show out against Kevin Owens and Sammy, I feel that that match is going to be better than this one. Now after this, we have Seth Rollins come out. He'll come out to the ring. He'll stand in the middle of the ring. And as the crowd just sing his song. And to me, this just shows that Seth Rollins is ready for the main event of WrestleMania. He wasn't in the main event of WrestleMania this year. He went against Logan Paul. Last year, he went against a re-debuting of Cody Rhodes. Uh, the year before that, I believe he went against Cesaro or Claudio Castagnoli, as we all know him now. But again, Seth has been putting in that work, and it seems to me that it's time for him to cash in. I think next year is the perfect time for him to uh, do it, but we'll just have to wait and see. But he has definitely earned it. Now, speaking to someone that's earned something, Bobby Lashley will be backstage and he's being interviewed about the opportunity of him not wrestling at WrestleMania. And Bobby would mention that he was upset by this. Bronson Reed will go over to Bobby and poke fun at him for not having a match at Mania despite winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Bobby would ask Bronson, does he want to have a fight tonight? Bronson would say that not tonight, but they will have their moment when the time comes. Bronson would leave, and Mustafa Ali would walk up on Bobby, and he would start annoying Bobby, telling him that he needs to take no no's for an answer. He needs to just be assertive. So, you would see Bobby be assertive with Mustafa Ali. He would beat up Mustafa backstage, which would transition into a match between Bobby Lashley and Mustafa Ali. Bobby would win that match by submission, when Bobby would lock in the hurt lock on Ali, and Ali would tap out. So, again, squash match. It just needed something for Bobby to do. And again, Bobby should have been on Mania. I get that again. Bray, we'd have no idea. But Bobby should have been on that match card some way, somehow. Now, after this, we have Bianca Belair coming out to the ring. Bianca will give credit 
to Asuka for their match at Mania. Then we would get Rhea Ripley coming out. Rhea would say that Bianca is lucky to have survived because she could have chosen her to wrestle at WrestleMania, but she chose Charlotte, and now she is the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Rhea would reassure Bianca that they will face each other in due time. So again, this is building up anticipation for the match between Rhea Ripley and uh, Bianca Belair. And again, that match should have happened at Mania. I don't understand why they wanted to run run it back with Charlotte. I mean, you probably want to give Rhea Ripley that win back. Cool. And even though we had a great match with Rhea and Charlotte at Mania, that's still fine and cool. But I think a fresh match of uh, Bianca and Rhea at Mania just would have been pleasant. And I understand they're trying to build it up now more because both of them are champions and people are thinking they're going to get a uh, unified championship matchup here. We'll just have to wait and see on that. I don't believe that's going to happen, but we'll wait. Uh, Bianca would tell Rhea that she chose Charlotte because she knew better. And when Rhea feels that she is ready, then she could come and find Bianca because Bianca wants to face the best. So there you have it. Now, the next thing up was Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan going against Dakota Kai and Io Sky, where the winners will be facing Lita and Becky Lynch for the Women's Tag Team Championships next week on Raw. Raquel and Liv would win the match by pinfall when Raquel would hit the Tejano Bomb on Dakota Kai and then Liv would finish her off with Oblivion for the win. So next week, Raquel and Liv will be facing Lita and Becky for the Women's Tag Team Championships. Now, after this, we have The Miz coming down to the ring. Miz will talk about the disrespect that he got at WrestleMania night one and night two from Snoop Dogg to Pat McAfee to Shane McMahon. Uh, This will lead to a returning Matt Riddle coming down to the ring, and this would upset The Miz because, again, someone is upstaging him. Miz would get a couple shots off on Riddle before Riddle starts striking Miz and then hit Miz with bro Derek and that's the end of this so this was a reintroduction to let everybody know that Matt Riddle's back um he's back from hiatus and next week it was announced that Miz will be going against Matt Riddle now we're off to our main event the tag team matchup of Roman Reigns and Sosa Cole with Paul Heyman in their corner going against Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes now that's what I would be saying if that match actually did happen that match did not happen instead As the introductions were happening, and it's time for Cody to have his introductions in the ring, they really prepped this up like a big fight feel here with the introductions. They usually don't do it. So we get that here, and whenever it's time for Cody to get his introduction, Brock would turn Cody around, and he would hit Cody with F5. Now, this would shock everybody in the arena, from the crowd to the commentators to Paul Heyman, Solisico, and Roman Reigns. To the point that Roman would tell Paul and Solo that they need to leave the ring. So Roman, Paul, and Solo would leave the ring as Brock would lift Cody up again and hit him with another F5. Now, as this is happening, you would see Brock then pick Cody up again and then hit him with a German suplex. Then chuck Cody over the ring and he just starts decimating Cody outside of the ring. You would see Brock uh, throw Cody into the barricade. Uh, stomach and rib first because uh, Cody's ribs are taped up at the time. You will see Brock then suplex Cody into the timekeeper table. Well, not table, timekeeper area. Then you will see Brock grab a steel chair and hit Cody in the back with a steel chair. Brock would then grab a steel step and just hit Cody in the head with the steel steps. Now you got backstage officials, you got referees coming down to try to make sure Brock doesn't touch. Cody, but again, Brock is Brock, he's the beast, so he basically intimidates and scares everyone, so everyone is basically powerless to the fact of Brock Lesnar, 
Brock would then take the steel steps that he hit Cody with, throw him into the ring. He'll grab Cody and put Cody into the ring, and he will hit Cody with an F5 on the steel steps. Now, Brock would then take a steel chair and start, like, driving it on Cody's throat and just hold it there. And Brock is just yelling something at Cody, and I cannot describe what he was saying to him. So, we get this. Brock will leave. He'll walk up the ramp. Now we have actual backstage officials checking on Cody. We'll get EMT people coming down with a stretcher, trying to just make sure Cody's okay, trying to put him on the stretcher. And then before Raw ends, you see Brock coming back out on the stage. And you see Brock take his uh, big gloves off, and he just sticks the bird up at everybody in the ring. So that's what's up with Brock. We never get an official uh, situation or official explanation from Brock or anybody why Brock did what he did. Hopefully next week on Raw we'll get an answer from that, but that's just a big mystery. Why did Brock decide to F5 and do damage to Cody Rhodes? It doesn't make sense, but we'll have to wait and see uh, next week on Monday Night Raw. But with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to NXT. NXT will open up with the new NXT Women's Champion, Indy Hartwell, coming down to the ring. Indy would do what every single new champion does. They, she would thank the people that attended uh, NXT, a.k.a. the fans, for believing in her when she didn't have anyone to believe in her. Um, Indy would also say that she needs to give thanks to Roxanne Perez because without her, there would have been no ladder match at Stand and Deliver. So Indy finds it fitting to give Roxanne the first title shot. So this will bring out Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark would say that Roxanne shouldn't get the first shot at Indy. As a matter of fact, she should, because Roxanne lost her championship and is now at the back of the line. Zoe will claim that Indy is afraid of her and say that Indy is a weak champion. Indy will tell Zoe that since she wants a shot, she will get her shot tonight. So we have a match for the NXT Women's Championship later on in the night. Now, the first match of the night would be the family's Tony D'Angelo and Stax going against Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall, when Tony would accidentally knock down the ref and himself, and Elton Prince would be down, and Kit Wilson would pull the ring skirt up and pull Elton out of the ring, and Kit would take Elton's spot and cover his body with the ring skirt. So when Tony went to grab Kit Wilson's legs, he thought he's grabbing Elton Prince, but when he realizes Kit Wilson, it'll be too late, and Elton would come in the ring and get Tony in a roll-up, and the referee would count one, two, three for the win, so Pretty Deadly won by using a tactic that the Los Guerreros would use, or even, like, the Bella Twins, because Pretty Deadly have the same gear, so you don't know who it is until you actually have to look at their face and their hair. That's the only thing that separates them, so I like this tactic that they use. Hopefully, we get to see more of that, because I never thought that type of maneuver would be used from Pretty Deadly, and I haven't seen that type of maneuver be used in a minute, so I like that they pulled out a classic here. Now, after this, we had Dijak going against Odyssey Jones. Dijak would win the match by pinfall when Odyssey was on the second turnbuckle. Dijak would super kick Odyssey, then grab Odyssey up and put him on the shoulders and hit a Death Valley driver. Go for the pin. Odyssey would kick out. Dijak would go to the top turnbuckle and hit Odyssey with a moonsault and win that way. So this was a good big boy style match that we had here. Next up, we had Dragon Lee going against Nathan Frazier. But before the match would start, NXT's UK's Noam Dar would appear from the crowd. And Noam Dar would let everyone know that he is now in NXT. And so is his NXT Heritage Cup. So 
you will have this here. He'll be at ringside watching Dragon Lee going against Nathan Frazier. And Dragon Lee would win the match by pinfall when Dragon would counter a clothesline by flipping inside out and hit Nathan Frazier with a powerbomb, cover Nathan Frazier. Nathan would kick out of it, and Dragon Lee would finish Nathan Frazier off with a bicycle knee to the face. And that's how Dragon Lee would win his match with Nathan Frazier. Good, solid match up here, and is a great way for Dragon Lee to recover after losing and taking the pinfall, technically, at NXT's uh, Stand and Deliver this past Saturday. So Dragon Lee is at least getting some momentum back since he just debuted in NXT. But there's still no shame. That NXT Stand and Deliver match, that Fatal 5-Way for the North American Championship, was absolute fire, and I recommend, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Now, after this, we have our NXT Women's Championship matchup. Indy Hartwell going against Zoe Stark. Indy would win the match by pinfall when Zoe would hit Indy with a Z360. And Indy would, like, drop out of the ring because of exhaustion. So Zoe Starks will leave the ring and bring Indy back into the ring. And Zoe would lay on top of Indy as the referee's making the count. Indy would reverse this pin into a crucifix pin and get the win. So with this finish, they made Indy look like a champion that basically won by luck because she was able to uh, reverse a pin into her own pin here, not by winning by dominant fashion. So after the match, Indy would hold up her NXT Women's Championship and Tiffany Stratton would come out on the ring entrance uh, ramp and point at Indy. So this tells you that Tiffany wants a shot at Indy's uh, NXT Women's Championship and Indy will look at Tiffany and she wouldn't see Cora Jade coming into the ring and attack her from behind. So Cora would attack Indy Hartwell, lay her out with her double underhook DDT, then hold up the NXT Women's Championship. This is the first time that we've seen Cora J in NXT for some time now. I have no idea why she wasn't on TV. It's not my business for their personal life, but I'm glad to see her here. And just to let everyone know that uh, Cora J is back in NXT, and she's gunning for the NXT Women's Championship. Now after this, we had the matchup of Ivy Nile going against Tatum Paxley. Ivy Nile would win the match by submission by locking in the Dragon Sleeper and adding in an extra torque of pressure on it, making Tatum tap out. So this is Ivy's revenge on Tatum for turning on her a couple weeks ago. Now we have the NXT North American Championship match of the champion Wesley going against Axiom. Wes would win the match by pinfall when Wes would duck the Golden Ratio kick and hit Axiom with a cardiac kick to retain his championship. This was a good back and forth match between Wesley and Axiom. Again, they're coming off... They're a stand-and-deliver five-way North American Championship matchup. And Axiom did try to, uh, matter of fact, nope, it was Wesley. He tried to go for the uh, cardiac kick, but he realized that Axiom was ready for for the golden ratio kick the same way that he did at stand-and-deliver. So in mid-rotation, you see Wes, like, counter it into a Meteora, and he would drop his knees onto Axiom, like, in the middle of the match. So I like that they have the champion learning from his mistake at stand and deliver. And he was able to readjust himself in the middle of the match. So I like this match up here. As a matter of fact, I would call that basically the match of the night for NXT here. Now, after the match, you would see Wes help Axiom to his feet. They would raise each other's hands in the air, have the crowd uh, applaud them. Wes will leave the rings to give Axiom his moment. And then you will hear a voice play in the arena. It's scripts, scripts would give a cryptic message saying that he is going after Axiom. While Axiom is staring at the ramp looking for Scripps to come out, Scripps would leap off the top turnbuckle, but Axiom would turn just in time to hit Scripps with the golden ratio kick. 
and Axiom would tell Scripps that he is going to expose him. So I feel that we're going to have a mask versus mask match coming up between Axiom and Scripps since they both wear masks. And that's just the plain Jane way to say I know where I think they're going to be going. And if they don't, I think that's kind of dumb if they don't do that. But um, only time will tell. This is the beginning of their rivalry between Axiom and Scripps. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Now off to the main event segment. Trick Williams and the new NXT uh, champion, Carmelo Hayes, will come down to the ring to celebrate Melo winning at Stand and Deliver. Melo and Trick would brag about Melo becoming the champion. Trick will say that they have entered the him era. Melo will say that with every great champion, there is a great challenger, and Braun is that for Melo. So Melo will call Braun out to the ring so he can give Braun his flowers. Braun will come to the ring and he will say that the NXT Championship holds a lot of lineage and he wanted to pass it down to the right person at the right time, the same way that Tommaso Ciampa did for him. Melo will tell Braun that he doesn't know what Braun's future holds for him, but he wants to thank Braun for all of his hard work. So the fans will chant a thank you breaker chant because at this time we had no idea whether Braun was going to go off to the main roster or what. It just seemed that he was poised to go to the main roster. But that would change in a couple seconds. So with this, Melo would shake hands with Braun Breaker. Braun would raise uh, Melo's hand in the air. And as the fans are chanting for Melo, Braun would turn and clothesline Carmelo. Trick would go to Braun. Braun would get uh, Trick yoked up. And he would press, well, Gorilla Press Slam uh, Trick into the mat. And then Braun would hit Melo with a spear. And then Braun just standing on the ring apron, looking at his handiwork of laying out both Melo and Trick here. So this tells you that this program between Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker is not done yet. So Braun has a good couple, probably a good couple more months left in his run with NXT before he actually goes anywhere. Because I don't see Braun staying on uh, the NXT roster. I see that he's poised to go to the main roster. I just think they wanted to give Melo the opportunity to beat Braun Breaker one more time because a champion usually got to have his rematch clause. So I believe this is going to lead into that uh, next match between Braun and Carmelo here. And looking back at it, I'm fine with that, to be honest with you. I'm fine because now we get a uh, bad guy version of Braun Breaker here. We get a good guy version of Carmelo here. So now the dynamics will change in their second match. And again, we got time to build this up. So hopefully... Next week's episode of NXT, they build it up more, but time will tell. Now with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to AEW Dynamite. Here's a note that would happen in the program. Uh, Tony Khan and Nigel McGuinness would be backstage, and it's time for Tony Khan's special announcement. And Tony Khan will pull Adam Cole in, and Adam Cole would announce that AEW All In is going to be happening August 27th in London, England. So AEW is going over to England, and they're going to have their all-in event. And they haven't had an all-in event ever, technically, under the AEW umbrella. Uh, Kenny, the Young Bucks, and Cody Rhodes had an all-in event in 2018. This was like the formation of AEW after that uh, event, that independent event. So... It's only fitting to have this event now in England, but I see that it's kind of bad timing in the wrestling world state because I'll say it like this. Cody Rhodes, he just had his big 
uh, moment at WrestleMania. Being in the main event with Roman Reigns, yes, Cody Rose lost, but that was a big, grandiose uh, situation that none of his family members got to do. Not his father, not his brother. So he was able to do that. I find it real, like, I just find it real bad timing because Cody lost at Mania. And when Cody was in AEW, and even when he was in Ring of Honor, he wanted to have Ring of Honor and he wanted to have AEW go over to England. And now they're only going to be going to England now that Cody has technically gone off to WWE. He's not there to be at their all-in event. He's not going to be there for this thing that something that he uh, orchestrated in a way. It's just not right. But I mean, business is business. So Cody's just going to have to watch from the sideline just like everybody else is not in AEW. Now with that little note out of the way. Oh, yeah. Nigel McGinnis, he is under the AEW umbrella because he got signed to uh, AEW this past Friday at Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor event. I don't know if he's going to be on commentary for AEW on special occasions or not. I think he's going to be on commentary for Ring of Honor, but time will see with Nigel McGinnis. I'm happy that he is under contract with uh, AEW. Now, with that, notes out of the way. We'll start off the show with Ricky Stars versus Rock Hard Juice Robinson. Or at least that's what was supposed to happen. Because Juice Robinson will be in the ring. Ricky Starks will make his way down to the ring. He'll get on the uh, ramp or the ring apron, if you will. And Jay White's music would hit. Jay White would run down to the ring and he would beat up on Ricky Starks. And Juice Robinson would help out Jay White beating up on Ricky. Jay White would hit Ricky with the Blade Runner. And that's it right here. Jay White is now part of... All Elite Wrestling, Tony Khan would tweet it out, do his usual thing. JY is now All Elite, so JY has signed with AEW. And again, I find that a big bonus because that was the big thing in what, I believe, March, ending of February. Where was JY going? That was the big thing. Is JY going to WWE? Is he going to AEW? I was waiting to see where he was going to land before I said anything. And I'm glad that he is in AEW now, especially with the reports of Vince kind of running the show again and creative for WWE. I'm glad that Jay White picked AEW because now I think people need to see and understand that AEW is essentially Bullet Club promotion, but with wrestlers that are not Bullet Club. The main focus and the main story of AEW has and always will be Bullet Club. When you think of tag teams, you think of the Young Bucks with their situation. When you think of the trios, you think of the elite now because whenever you want to see the Bucks and Kenny or they want to remix it whenever the time comes with uh, Hangman Page and the Young Bucks because you know it's going to happen, you get that. You have the main event scene. You can always add Hangman Page into it. You can add Kenny Omega into it now since he's now into this God-level status the way that people saw him and envisioned him being whenever he came over into AEW. And now you have Jay White here. It just adds onto the level of prestige of Bullet Club basically just running AEW the way that it was supposed to go whenever AEW first formed. So again, having Jay White in AEW is not a bad thing. I see it as a good thing. And it also, it allows him to, to uh, continue some storylines that he has with New Japan. Because technically, New Japan does work with AEW. They're going to have a Forbidden Door event and having Jay White on that card with someone from New Japan is just going to be more interesting since 
Bullet Club over there in New Japan, they have a new leader, David Finley, and all the chaos is going to be happening with that. That's just going to make it much more interesting whenever Jay White has a meeting with uh, David Finley and Gato. So that's going to be real uh, interesting. But again, off my nerd stuff, Jay White is now part of AEW. So congrats to Jay White and congrats to Tony for pulling that off. Now, after this, we have the trios championship matchup of the House of Black going against the best friends in Orange Cassidy. House of Black would win the match by pinfall when Bunny Matthews would counter Soul Food by Chuck Taylor and hit Chuck with a curb stomp for the win to retain their championships. They would acknowledge that La Faction uh, Igonobles was at ringside, so they were probably keeping their eyes on this matchup here because they probably wanted a shot at those trios championships. So it adds, again, another level of intrigue because the trio championship seems to be a hot championship that people just want you got the jericho appreciation society whenever they want to get back into the mix they want those trio championships now you got lefaction uh diego nobles wanting a shot you got best friends in orange cassidy you'll have death triangle whenever they want to reform and go after those trio championships and let's not forget you still have the elite that might still want those trio championships so you got a whole hotbed going after those trio championships, so it's a great thing to see that, and having the House of Black still being champions, I find that great, I'm just wishing that Best Friends would hold some type of titles, because they have been AEW long enough that they should have held some titles, but I'll get into that gripe whenever the time is right, right now it's not the time. Now, after this, we have the AEW Women's Championship matchup, Ariho going against Jamie Hayter, Jamie Hayter would win the match by pinfall, by hitting Hayter Raid on Riho for the win. After this, we have 2.0 and Jake Hager on the entrance stage as they introduce the Acclaim. This is all about 2.0 wanting to know if the Acclaim is going to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. The Acclaim would do their usual rap, and in that rap, they would say that it's a no, they're not joining Jericho Appreciation Society. So, in the end, the Acclaim still do not want to join the Jericho Appreciation Society, and still 2.0 isn't trying to hear a no from them. So Angelo Parker will let the acclaim know that he spoke to Tony earlier and he got them a match on Rampage, the four of them teaming up together. So we're going to get an eight-man tag match on Rampage. Now, after this, since AEW is in Long Island, New York, we would get an MJF production since it's MJF Day. So MJF would have a whole musical orchestra playing a rendition of Pennies from Heaven as MJF would sing it. And after MJF would do his whole singing, MJF would be presented a key to Long Island by the mayor of Long Island. And MJF would tell a story of how when he was young in class, he had ADD and his teacher would call on him for not paying attention in class. And that teacher would ask him, where does his brain go when he isn't paying attention in her class? He would tell her that it was focused on pro wrestling and that he wanted to be a world champion. That teacher told him at a young age that the probability of him doing that will be slim to none. And MJF would have a message to all the children out there with a learning disability and have a dream just to bust your butt and keep working towards the dream. And you can do anything. And also, don't be a bitch like that teacher. Again, his words, not mine. But I do follow that and I do agree with MJF with everything that he did say. And that exact same thing, because what a complete skank, to be honest with you, whenever a teacher like 
completely craps on a kid's dream. I don't like that at all. So for him to say that on national television, I actually dig it. Um, MJF would then leave the ring. He'll walk up the ramp and ask the crowd, do they want another song? Or as I should say, do they want an encore? And as you would continue to ask the fans this, a member of the orchestra would bang the cymbals in MJF's ear. MJF would yell at that member, but that member's all like covered up. So you can't really see the person's face. And what MGF doesn't know is that that member was Jungle Boy in disguise. Jungle Boy would attack MGF. You would see backstage officials and security come out to break up the two. Then Sammy Guevara will come out because his match is up next. And as he's in between both uh, Jungle Boy and MGF, he will see the AEW World Championship on the ground. He will pick it up, lift it up in the air. He will get in the face of both Jungle Boy and MJF before he hands it off to MJF, and then he walked down to the ring for his match against Commander. Sammy would win his match by pinfall when he would catch Commander as Commander was walking on the top rope, and he would hit Commander with a cutter, then finish it off with a GTH for the win. Now after the match, Tony Schiavone would get in the ring, and Sammy Guevara would take the mic away from Tony and trash talk MJF. Sammy would recall his match with MJF a couple years ago, saying that MJF didn't beat him. He had a guy beat him. Sean Spears beat him with a chair. Sammy would call MJF a social climber. He would say that he was once with Cody. Then he was cool with Tony Khan. Then he was cool with the inner circle. Then he had his own group. Then he got out of that. Then he was part of the firm. Then he got out of that. So MJF never did anything on his own. He just constantly was on the back of others to get to where he is now. And you will see Sammy talk about how he doesn't want to go anywhere. Sammy wants to be in AEW. He's just not using this place as a stepping stone to try to go anywhere else. And he was alluding to MGF's bidding war of 2024. Sammy would say that he plans on becoming the AEW world champion. So there you go. This is Sammy's basically gripe with MGF and he just had to let it all out. We got a shot of Darby Allen up in the rafters looking down on Sammy. So again, we're still building up to this fatal four-way with all the pillars. And also, MGF was hearing everything because after Sammy was done talking, you will see MGF in the back watching on a monitor, listening to everything that Sammy Guevara just said. So again, we're building up to this fatal four-way match. And again, the only biggest place that could have this four fatal four-way match or should actually be allowed to have this fatal four-way match is at double or nothing because... Why give this out on free TV? It just doesn't make sense at all. But time will tell. Now on to the next match, the FTW Championship matchup of Ethan Page with Matt Hardy in his corner going against the champion Hook. Hook would win the match by submission thanks to Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy. When Isaiah Cassidy would get on the ring apron and distract the referee and Hook was looking at Isaiah Cassidy, Ethan Page would try to take the FTW Championship away from Matt Hardy, but Matt Hardy wouldn't let go of it. Ethan would tell Matt to let go. Matt wouldn't. Matt held on to the title more closely. Ethan would let go of the title and ask Matt what's he doing. Matt would hit Ethan Page in the head with the FTW Championship. And then you would see Hook go over to Ethan Page and lock in the red rum. And that's how this match ended. So Matt Hardy turned his back on Ethan Page. Matt Hardy never really truly liked the Ethan Page. He was just using Ethan Page and trying to manipulate Ethan Page because Matt Hardy is under contract with Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway in the firm. So this was Matt Hardy's way of getting back at Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway. So we're going to see more shenanigans from uh, Matt Hardy towards Ethan and Stokely. That's to come. 
Now, after this, we had a trios matchup of the Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and Willie Yuta, with Brian Danielson in the corner going against three uh, jobbers. Jobbers, for people that don't know, are just basically local talent guys or gals that get put into this particular match just to get beat up on. Uh, Yuta would get the win for the Blackpool Combat Club by submission, where Yuta will lock in the crossface on one of the jobbers and have that person tap out. Now, after the match, Brian would talk in the middle of the ring as the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club stands around him. Brian would say that he loves the Blackpool Combat Club and he loves pro wrestling. He would state that AEW is basically run by nothing but amateurs. He would say that the Blackpool Combat Club are the only actual pro wrestlers around here, while everybody else are amateurs. This would have Heyman Page coming down to the ring, and he would get beat up by the Blackpool Combat Club. Brian would tell Heyman that nobody loves him, since nobody's coming down to the ring to save him, even though the Elite got taken out last week and the week before that, and also Dark Order just got took out last week as well, so nobody could save Hangman that he's affiliated with. You will see Moxley and Claudio hold up uh, Hangman Page as Brian takes a screwdriver out of his pocket, and Brian would put that screwdriver into the eye of Hangman Page, and he just would twist it more. Now, if you watched it, you know that he didn't actually put the screwdriver into Hangman Page's eye, they did camera work that you had to make the illusion that he was doing it. And I'll say they did a good job. They actually made it look like, yo, you can't actually see the screwdriver go into Heyman Page's eye. Where they messed up at was whenever you saw the camera cut go to uh, Brian and Heyman on the ground, Brian's hand kind of moved away from Heyman Page's face. And that's that's where they messed up. I don't know who's in AEW's production truck or wherever is going on. But they need to be able to see all the camera people or all the camera work that the camera people are actually doing and be able to say, okay, go to camera this, go to camera that, go to camera this. And they able to do that. They showed a backstage uh, situation where CM Punk debuted into AEW and that what was happening. You saw them talk about go to camera 10. They go to camera 11. They were saying all that. So I'm not certain how somebody in production missed that. I don't understand how somebody just... Say, oh yeah, go to that camera cut. And oh yeah, they're 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 messing up right there. As a fan, I'm able to see, oh yeah, this is where they screwed up. You guys can't be doing that, especially when you're trying to uh sell a story the way that Blackpool Comic Club is just basically being vicious human beings the way that they're doing, especially with a screwdriver to the eye. So again, they did great camera work until that one moment. So I'm not gonna hold them to a hostage. I'm not gonna crap on them too much i just want like to say yo just get better fancy work on your camera work that's all i'm gonna say about that all right again you're still a new company you're still learning learning but those type of things are amateur mistakes i want AEW to do well that's all i basically care about here with them so again not me crapping on you just saying do better that's all it is now off to the main event the aew tag team titles going against the career FTR putting up their career against the tag team champions, the Guns. Now, before I get into the match, I just want to say one thing. The Guns came out to 50 Cent's Miniman, and I wonder how much money Tony Khan paid 50 Cent for that, just to use Miniman for this one entrance. I don't think the Guns are going to have Miniman as their entrance theme. I just think they used it for this one time. Only time will tell. But I wonder how much money 50 Cent really did get off that. 
because Tony Khan just looks like he just putting money to uh, specific acts that he want to put money into, at least with the entrances. He's done it twice now with Orange Cassidy. He's done it with CM Punk with Cold of Personality. Um, how who else has he done it with? I'm not well. Fifty Cent's Many Men with them. And Jungle Boy, oh yes, Jungle Boy with his music. So I wonder how many more people, oh yeah, and Hook. I almost forgot about Hook's theme. I just wonder how much or how many more times Tony Khan's going to be willing to shove money out to wrestlers for an entrance with a song that people know. I just wonder how many more times that's going to happen. And I want to know specific reason why he did it, but I'm not mad at it. And as you could tell, from the midweek episode or midweek breakdown episode this week, I used 50 cents, uh, wankster, not wankster, what up gangster. So you could tell that I'm a big fan of 50 cent, at least in that retrospect, because I like the way that his business acumen moves. So for Tony Khan to use, uh, mini man for this, I was pretty excited. Now off to the match up here. Uh, FTR would win the match by pinfall when both Dax and Cash would get Austin and Colton in a roll up pin at the exact same time. And the referee would make the pin. FTR are your new AEW Tag Team Champions. This match was alright. It was good. Um, there was many times where the guns tried to get themselves DQ'd. Because the championships wouldn't change hands on the disqualification. And with that stipulation, FTR would basically be leaving AEW. But the referee continued on. They would continue on with referee discretion. And they would continue to go. FTR would basically just outwit them at the end, and that's how they are now the new AEW Tag Team Champions. So FTR are now two-time Tag Champions. I'm glad that they did this because I did not want to see FTR basically go away from AEW. It would have been dope if they would have went to Impact, but I don't see FTR like going to Impact. I see like Impact wrestlers going to AEW to face uh, FTR when that matchup ever happens, but FTR going to Impact Wrestling, I just didn't see it, so I'm glad that they are still in AEW, and they are now the new AEW Tag Team Champions. Hopefully, they get a longer run than they did their first run, and I believe their front run only lasted, what, two months, and it was a real quick two months because they lost to the Young Bucks, so hopefully, we get a nice longer reign with them as champions here, and with that, they get to build up uh, tag teams to face them. So only time will tell. And also at the end of the match, you saw Mark Briscoe coming down into the ring and hug FTR. And it was a real good uh, heartwarming moment because uh, you could see in that moment how much Mark means to FTR since FTR were technically the last big feud that the Briscoe brothers as a whole, as a unit, Jay and Mark, that was their last like a big official storyline feud that they had. So to see that, to see Mark come out there, that tells you how much the Briscoes mean to FTR and FTR means to Mark and Jay, the Briscoes. So it was a good uh, heart-wrenching moment to end AEW off. So with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will open up with a tag team matchup of the Motor City Machine Guns going against TMDK, which consists of Shane Hayes and Bad Dude Tito. Motor City Machine Guns would win their match by pinfall, Alex Shelley would get Shane Hayes in a crucifix pin, and Chris Saban would hold Hayes down with the roll-up because Chris Saban is the legal man for the Motor City Machine Guns. And Alex Shelley would play defense, making sure Bad Dude Tito wouldn't get in the ring to interfere as the referee count the pinfall one, two, three. Um, Motor City Machine Guns are a perfect tag team to open up impact with. They give you high energy, 
uh, that speed dynamic. I like that this match against TMDK was a good match. It also allowed people to know who Bad Dude Tito was. I know him because of his uh, stints over there in New Japan. I don't know much about him in the matches, but um, I'm willing to see more from him. Hopefully, he'll be around more in Impact, but only time will tell. After the match, you will see Motor City Machine Guns go backstage. They're met by Bullet Club's Ace Austin and Chris Bay, the Impact Tag Team Champions. And they will say congratulations on the good match, but win a couple more matches, and then you'll probably get a shot at the Tag Team titles. So the Motor City Machine Guns will tell Ace and Bay that they have a rematch, and they're going to get their rematch at Rebellion. And since they're so cocky, why don't they defend those titles in an Ultimate X match? So Ace and Bay would agree. So at Rebellion, we're going to get an Ultimate X uh, tag team matchup for the tag team titles between Ace and Bay and the Motor City Machine Guns. Now, after this, we'll have a one-on-one matchup, Mike Bailey going against Jonathan Gresham, where the winner will be facing Trey Miguel at Rebellion for the X Division Championship. Trey Miguel will be on commentary for this matchup and get involved in the match, turning this into a no contest. When both Mike Bailey and Gresham were fighting outside of the ring, they would get close to Trey Miguel, and at one point, Mike Bailey was almost going to kick Trey Miguel, but he stopped. And Jonathan Gresham was about to chop Trey Miguel, but stopped. And this would upset Trey Miguel to the point that when Gresham and Bailey were back in the ring and they were fighting each other, Trey Miguel would get on the ring apron and hit a springboard dropkick on both of the guys, making the ref call for the bell. Now, after the match, Trey Miguel would go back to the commentary table, grab his uh, spray paint can, looking to tag both Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham. But once he got in the ring, he would see both men get up and Trey would just slide out of the ring. And that's the end of this. Now, we would go backstage. Santino would be talking to both Mike Bailey, Jonathan Gresham. Trey Miguel would interrupt. Santino would make the decision for Trey Miguel to defend his exhibition championship against both Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham in a triple threat elimination match. Now, after this, we have the impact debut of Jody Threat going against Terror Rising. Jody would win the match by pinfall by hitting the F416, which is another name for the F5, but the 416 is the area code where Jody was raised in Canada. So she wins this match up here, and this is just Jody's debut in Impact Wrestling. I don't know much about Jody Threat, except this was the woman that got beat up on by Athena in AEW some months ago that had the internet going ablaze. So that's the only thing I do know about Jody Threat. Hopefully, with her time and impact, I'm going to know more about her. Um, after this, we had a six-man tag match. Tommy Dreamer, Yuya Yamura, and Darren McCarty. He's supposedly a NHL uh, hockey former hockey player. Going against Bully Ray, John Schuyler, and Jason Hotch. Darren McCarty would win the match for his team by hitting John Schuyler with a stunner. After the match, Kenny King would run down to the ring and attack McCarty and Yuya Yamura from behind, and Kazarian would run down to the ring and attack Kenny King. Then Masha Slamovich would run down to the ring and attack Tommy Dreamer. Then Kelly Kelly would come down to neutralize Masha Slamovich. And now you have both teams just basically find it out until Bully Ray's team slides out of the ring and retreat up the ramp. This is to give people some uh, motivation and momentum as they go into rebellion because it's supposed to be Team Tommy Dreamer going against Team Bully Ray in hardcore war. So I think that the teams are Bully Ray, uh, Jason Hotch, John Schuyler, Masa Slamovich, and now Kenny King going against Tommy Dreamer, Yuya Yamura, Kazarian, 
Kelly Kelly, and I don't know the other person. At least that's what it seems that is being made up of now. It's never been official yet, but it just seems by the way that they did this, these are the two teams that they have at the moment. Now, after this, we have PCO going against Eddie Edwards. Eddie would win the match by pinfall thanks to his wife, Alicia Edwards, when the referee was knocked down in the match, and PCO had Eddie on the ground, and he was looking to hit Eddie with a moonsault from the second turnbuckle. Alicia Edwards would run down to the ring and try to plead with PCO to stop it. PCO would just look at Alicia and just hear her out, but he still planned on hitting the moonsault on Eddie, and Alicia would hit PCO with a kendo stick. This would allow Eddie to get up and hit PCO with a tiger suplex, then finish PCO off with Boston Knee Party. Now, after the match, Eddie Edwards and Alicia would celebrate in the ring, and Alicia would alert Eddie that PCO is still moving. PCO would sit up and then get up and chase Eddie Edwards and Alicia out of the ring and chase them to the back to the point that PCO would chase Eddie and Alicia into their car and they'll drive off if PCO is still chasing after them. So Alicia has now joined her husband, Eddie Edwards, on the dark side, and I'm glad for it because Alicia Edwards, she's always playing the dowdy wife of trying to turn Eddie Edwards good when he was with Honor No More. She would try to make him be good, step away from Honor No More, and now since Honor No More is no more, and Eddie Edwards is by himself and he's still going against PCO, I like that they have the idea to turn Alicia and make her join Eddie on the dark side. I like that personally. So it also gives Alicia at least more screen time because she's always been with Impact for some time now, but you don't see her much on TV except to just get destroyed by another female talent. So I hope this gives Alicia more screen time and hopefully she gets more wins under her belt in Impact Wrestling here. Now we're off to the main event segment here in Impact. We have Steve Macklin, Kushida, and Scott Demore in the middle of the ring as Josh Alexander will come down with his wife and his child to relinquish the Impact World Championship. Josh will talk about opportunities and how he had to grind for 14 years on the Canadian uh, independence to get an opportunity. Josh will talk about since he signed his contract with Impact, he has been busting his butt to make sure that he pays back the goodwill that Scott Demore has given him, which led to Josh being the longest reigning Impact World Champion, and he doesn't take that for granted. And now that he has a torn peck, he's out indefinitely. So Josh has to relinquish his Impact World Championship. Josh would make mention to both Kushida and Steve Macklin that he will be watching a match between the two, and Josh will give them a warning that when it's time and he's healed up and he's better, he'll be coming back for the championship that he never lost. So Josh would go over to Scott, try to hand him his Impact World Championship, but Josh's son would run and take the championship away from Josh. And now you have Josh and his wife talking to the son, trying to tell him it's going to be all right. Josh would take the title away from the son, hand it over to Scott Demore, and Macklin would kill the whole empathy and sympathy crap here and tell Scott to hand him the championship because it was always going to be him taking the title away from Josh. And he tells Josh this is just another way for him to cop out so he won't face him at Rebellion. And now you see Scott just get upset with Macklin because Macklin's trying to provoke Josh to fight in front of his wife and kid. And Scott tells Macklin... You are a wimp. You're pathetic. You squandered every opportunity to fight Josh before he got injured. And if you really wanted to fight him, he will list off the opportunities when Josh opened up an open challenge and nobody answered except for Mike Bailey. He talked about how Bobby Fish came into impact and he just went after Josh Alexander when Josh again issued an open challenge for the Impact World Championship. 
He would mention how a couple weeks ago when Josh was in the middle of the ring and he called out Steve Macklin and Macklin declined that open challenge. So Macklin is the one running away from Josh here. Scott would say that he is trying to play the person in the middle and he shouldn't be really hoping that one or the other wins the matchup between Kushida or Macklin, but he hopes that Kushida wins the match and becomes an Impact World Champion so that Macklin never becomes champion. Macklin would take offense to this and he would say that Kushida is only in this position because Josh got hurt and that Kushida better enjoy the spotlight because he isn't going to enjoy it when he loses. So Kushida would get up in Macklin's face. Macklin would push Kushida. You would see Macklin and Kushida both battle with each other for a minute before Kushida locks in the hoverboard lock. And now you have Macklin roll out of the ring. He holding the Impact World Championship. Kushida would run off the ropes, hit a Top Gun Hilo onto Macklin. He would grab the Impact World Championship up, go into the ring before he hands it off to Scott Demore. He would pose with it in the air to give people a future of what could happen when he beats or if he beats Steve Macklin at Rebellion for the Impact World Championship. And that's how Impact ends. So we have our main event for Rebellion set in stone for the Impact World Championship. Steve Macklin going to Kushida. And also Josh Alexander will be watching because we all know what's going to happen. Either Macklin or Kushida, more than likely Macklin, is going to win the matchup here. He's going to hold on to the title. Josh Alexander, he's going to heal himself up. And when the time is right, you're going to see Macklin going against Josh Alexander from the Unified or the Undisputed Impact World Championship. But with that... That's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a six-man tag match of the Brawling Brutes going against Imperium. Sheamus would win the match for his team by pinfall by hitting a bro kick on Giovanni Vinci for the win. After this, we have Ricochet versus Ivar with Valhalla in his corner. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall by hitting the shooting star press on Ivar for the win. Now after this, we had Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan going against Natalia and Shotzi. Liv and Raquel would win the match by pinfall when Liv would hit Chassis with Oblivion. This is just giving them more uh, motivation and momentum as they go into their WWE Women's Tag Team title match against Lita and Becky Lynch on the next episode of Monday Night Raw. After this, we have Triple H coming down to the ring. Triple H would rehash what he said on Monday Night Raw, talking about WrestleMania, how they broke every records that uh, they have, and yada, yada, yada. And Triple H would mention that the draft is coming up within the next couple of weeks. So this is going to be the biggest draft that they've ever had. And things, well, some big things are to come and everybody's eligible. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this draft. Are they going to still with the whole raw, be with raw, SmackDown, be with SmackDown? Are they going to have interchangeable people going on uh, raw shows, SmackDown shows, or will they be adding this time with the flair of NXT being able to draft over some people that they want onto their brand? That was something that was not brought about, but for him to say this is going to be the biggest draft, I would think that you would add NXT into it, but time will tell whenever they actually do the draft and they actually specify the rules for it, but it just got me thinking about it. After Triple H would say this announcement, Triple H would introduce the new SmackDown Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley, and she would be backed by the rest of Judgment Day as they come down to the ring. Rhea will come out here, Peacock, about winning at WrestleMania to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Finn would talk about Edge and how Edge split his head open. Finn has 14 staples in his head and how he's really the true winner, even though he lost at Hell in a Cell. But he's here and Edge isn't. 
Dom would try to speak, but the fans would boo the ever-loving crap out of him. So this tells me that WWE's uh, whole plan that they've done with Dom since he split away from his father, Ray, and Dom just being the most hated dude legitimately in WWE, it's working. Nobody in WWE has gotten more boos than him. And I'm going to say this right now. I don't think even MJF could match the boos the way that Dominic is just getting booed out here. I'm not saying that MJF can't do something to rival that. I'm talking about right now in this iteration and caricature that we have MJF going against Dominic right now and crowd like participation of boos the way that MJF is a bad guy character and Dom's a bad guy. Dom is killing it with the boos to the point that he told him point blank, yo, I could be out here all day. And the boos, you will hear them literally take over the audio equipment in the whole like arena. So that's how bad the people actually booed Dominic. So they worked real well. Dominic has done really well in his presentation of just being a snot-nosed bratty kid. So congrats to Dom for that. Dom would talk about how he took it easy on his father, Ray, at WrestleMania, and then talk more crap. Then we finally get to our next match of Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio with Rhea and Finn in their corner going against Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar, who had Legato de Fantasma in their corner. Damian Priest and Dominic would win the match by pinfall. When Rey Mysterio would hit his son Dominic with the 619, then Santos would look to hit Dom with the Phantom Driver. But Dominic was not the legal participant. Damian Priest was. Damian would get in the ring, hit Rey Mysterio to knock him off the ring apron. Then Santos would get hit with an uppercut. And then he would fall victim to the South of Heaven chokeslam by Damian Priest. And then Priest would pin Santos Escobar to win the matchup here. So Judgment Day is getting some momentum after everyone in the Judgment Day except for Rhea Ripley lost at WrestleMania. So they're trying to build them back up yet again. But that's not going to be hard for them to do because Judgment Day is over. Uh, now it's off to the main event. Sami Zayn going against Jay Uso. And SmackDown was built off the back of these two guys and their whole uh, situation that night. You had earlier in the night, you had Jay Uso meeting up with Solo and Paul asking where Jimmy was. Paul told Jay that Jimmy wasn't there. Roman had Jimmy stay home so he could watch Jay Uso main event and see what he could do taking on Sami Zayn. And once Jay left, you will see Paul tell. Solo that if Jay can't handle our Sami Zayn problem, then you need to handle our problem. So you had the feeling that Paul Heyman was talking about Solo taking out Jay Uso here. We would get another backstage situation where Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were talking, and Sami told Kevin that he has a feeling in his gut that he needs to talk to Jay before they have their match, because Sami's still trying to recruit Jay to get off the bloodline sinking ship. Kevin Owens would tell him that's a bad idea, but Sami will still go along with it. Then the final segment that we will have of these two before their match will happen whenever Sammy does meet with Jay. He tells him, listen, I told you what's going to happen. It's already happening. We took you from the tag team titles at WrestleMania. You guys are now starting to sink. The bloodline starting to crumble. You guys could easily jump off the ship. You don't need to be a part of that. He's telling Jay all of this. And as Sammy's telling Jay this, you will hear a thumble in the back. And you see Sammy running over. It's Kevin Owens. He's been taken out by Solo Sokoa. And you just see Paul Heyman looking at Jay, making sure Jay's all right and he's good. And you see Jay just looking at the stuff that Kevin Owens is going through, the pain. So it's time for their matchup next. You hear Jay's music hit. And Sammy and Jay, they go out there to have their match. Solo Sokoa will come out in the middle of the match to just be around ringside. 
and he would interfere to help Jey Uso win the match when Jey was gouging at the face of Sami Zayn on the ring apron. The referee will pull Jay off of Sammy, and you see the ref dealing with Jay. Sozuko would take this opportunity to hit Sammy with a swollen spike, and then you see Jay grab Sammy, throw him into the ring, throw him off the ropes, and hit him with a leaping super kick to win the matchup. Now, after the match, Solo would see Jay sitting in the corner. He will help him up to his feet, so you can see that the brothers are cool together, and you see Solo start beating up on Sammy Zayn. And he's beating him up. Jay just constantly watching because Jay is thinking about what Sammy said to him. And as you see Solo about to hit Sammy with another small spike, Jay would grab Solo by his hand and stop him from doing it. He tells Solo that, listen, you've done enough. He's done. So now you think there's some dissension and that Jay actually did listen to what Sammy had to say. But it was all a ruse because then you see Jay super kick Sammy Zane as he's on his knees. You would then see Jay tell Solo to go outside the ring to get a chair, which Solo does this. Jay is continuing to beat up on Sammy, and then we'll hit Matt Riddle's music here, and Matt Riddle will run down to the ring. Matt Riddle comes down there, he beats up on Jay Uso, and Jay ends up leaving the ring. Solo will get in the ring. You see Matt Riddle throw a couple shots at Solo, and then clothesline him over the ring. Now you see Jay grab Solo to make sure he doesn't go back into the ring. And that's how SmackDown ends with Matt Riddle and Sami Zayn standing tall in the ring as Jay and Solo just watches from the outside of the ring. So we're continuing our beef with Matt Riddle. He has a beef with the bloodline. They're the guys that kind of took him out and he was out on the shelf for these months. So this is where we're at here. I'm glad to see Matt Riddle continuing on with the story here. That's good. And I'm glad that we're still getting that whole... Is Jay going to turn on the bloodline? Is he not? There's going to be a point where Jay is going to turn on the bloodline. We all know that's coming because there's no way with all the mind manipulation, the mind torture, all the mental stuff that Roman has played on Jay. There's no way that that's not having some long lasting effect on Jay. But right now, we're not getting that. We're still having Jay still kick it with the bloodline. So we got to see and wait for when Jay turns on the bloodline, more specifically Roman Reigns. But until then, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a no disqualification match for the FTW Championship between the champion Hook going against Ethan Page. This is a rematch from the match that they had on Dynamite this week. Hook would win the match by submission when Hook would make Ethan Page tap out to the Red Rum. So Hook will retain his FTW Championship. Now after the match, Hook will look at Ethan Page. They'll glance at the table that was slumped over in the corner. Hook would grab Ethan Page and slam him through the table with a T-bone suplex. So Hook was able to get more uh, brutality onto Ethan Page after the match. So I don't expect this thing between Ethan Page and Hook to be over after that. Now after this, we had an 8-man tag. 2.0 and the Acclaimed going against LSG, Bobby Orlando, and the Infiltrate. Max Caster would win the match for his team when the Acclaim would hit their tag finish, their arrival, and the mic drop on Bobby Orlando for the win. Now, after the match, 2.0 and the Acclaim would raise their arms in the middle of the ring in victory, and 2.0 and Jake Hager would attack the Acclaim and Billy Gunn. 2.0 did not like that they were disrespected by the Acclaim, and again, the Acclaim turned down 2.0's uh, request and invitation to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. So that's the reason why 2.0 attacked the Acclaim. So expect this thing to go on between 2.0 and the Acclaim, probably on Rampage. I don't expect this 
match to be hitting dynamite or the story to be hitting dynamite like that. But time will tell if they will be going on dynamite. I expect this to be a rampage storyline, so only time will tell. After this, we have Lee Moriarty with Big Bill in his corner going against Darby Allen. Darby Allen will win this match by pinfall when he hits a coffin drop on Lee Moriarty after hitting Big Bill with a suicide dive. Now, after the match, Darby Allen would walk up the ramp, and as he was on the entrance stage, Swerve Strickland would walk out on the stage, and he would extend his hand out to Darby Allen, and Darby wouldn't shake it. This would lead to Brian Cage coming out and attacking Darby from behind, then hitting the F5 on the stage. By the way, Darby Allen's head would hit the stage extremely hard. It made a nice loud thump. I'm hoping Darby's okay. I hope they just like ice him down and probably take him off uh, TV for a week and just examine his head. I don't like seeing uh, thumps like that and hearing thumps like that because they can mean he can get a concussion. And we know what that leads to in wrestling. And Darby Allen's already a risk taker already. So hopefully they examine him after that. But I digress. Uh, then Prince Nana will walk out onto the stage and he will shake hands with Swerve Strickland. So the mogul affiliates and the embassy have merged together. So we have a new like power group here. Hopefully this leads to Brian Cage and more of the embassy being on TV. I see this as a good thing, as a positive thing, since both Parker Boudreaux and uh, what's my man's name that Swerve has with him? Um, God, Tretch isn't on TV. I don't know what happened to those two. But just having Brian Cage and probably Khan and uh, other homeboy, Tua Leoa, being with Swerve, being his backup, as he's still beefing with Keith, it should at least bring more big boy matches. So we probably might be getting the Brian Cage versus uh, Keith Lee match probably soon. Maybe. After this, we have the main event of Rampage. Julia Hart going against Anna Jay. Julia would win the match by pinfall. Anna Jay will lock in the Queen Slayer on Julia. Julia would... Go outside of the ring with Anna Jace, and both of them will land onto the floor. Anna will be able to get back in the ring as the referee was doing his count. Julia would get up, grab a chair, and slide it into the ring. The referee would take the chair and throw it out, as this was a distraction to allow Julia to spray Black Mist into the face of Anna J. Then get in the ring and roll up Anna for the win. So Julia Hart and Anna J, they're not going to be finished with their little beef that they have after this, but this does at least give Julia Hart a win over Anna J. And that's the end of AEW Rampage, which will follow into AEW's Battle of the Belts, where the first match will be for the AEW International Championship, Orange Cassidy going against Drillistico. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall by hitting Drillistico with an orange punch and secure the victory. Now, after the match, House of Black would appear up on the screen and Buddy Matthews would axe Orange Cassidy. Since he defended, well, since the House of Black defended their trios championships against Orange Cassidy and the best friends, why doesn't Orange Cassidy defend his championship? So you can see that Buddy Matthews is more than likely going to get a title opportunity against Orange Cassidy. It was not decided when, but you can tell that's coming. After this, we have the TBS championship matchup of Jay Cargill going against Billy Starks. Jay Cargill would win the match by pinfall, but hitting Billy Starks with Jaded for the win. After the match, Ty Valkyrie will come down. Jade will try to hit Ty Valkyrie with the TBS Championship. Uh, Ty will duck it. Ty will grab Jade up, try to hit the road of Valhalla, but Jade would roll out of the ring and start walking up the ramp. So Jade and Ty's confrontation is coming up soon. They did not give a date on that, but you could tell now them finally getting physical with one another. 
you can tell that that match is slowly creeping up. Now off to the main event for the ROH Tag Team Championships. The champions of Lucha Brothers going against the TNT champion Powerhouse Hobbs and QT Marshall. Lucha Brothers will retain their Ring of Honor Tag Team titles by pinfall when Phoenix would get QT Marshall in a Hurricane Rana and secure the victory. Now that's the end of AEW Battle of the Belts. And this is the end of your wrestling highlights of the week. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be safe out there. Please be okay. I want you guys to have a uh, great Saturday. And also do note that I do have a Sunday episode as usual. Like I do every Sunday coming tomorrow. It's going to be me talking about the news topics that happened throughout the rest of this week. As well as I'll be going into the WWE merger a little bit more with Endeavor. Because apparently now they have an investigation, but I'll mention more of that tomorrow on the Sunday uh, episode. And also, if you did not listen to Wednesday's midweek uh, breakdown, listen to it. Have fun if you want to. But with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. Please have a great Saturday. And with that all being said, Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.